show on the SOT Radio Network. I am your host, Doug, and with me is Erica. Hi. From all across the planet. So we're just kind of a two-man team today, two-man and woman team today. And uh, we are hoping to be joined by other hosts as the show progresses. But uh, today we are talking about Doctors with Conscience, Heroes in Our Midst. So we are actually going to be talking about more than just doctors, but um, kind of the main thrust of the show is that there are kind of people amongst us or doctors or journalists or any number of other um, different professions where uh, they kind of are willing to stand up and do the right thing. And we think that those people don't necessarily get celebrated um, as much as maybe they should. Because, you know, we live in this culture on this planet where it seems like corruption just goes to the very core of everything that we do. Corruption of science, food and agricultural systems, the medical establishment, industry. It seems like it's just this big, massive, corrupt cesspool. And it, it seems like kind of like the almighty dollar just kind of takes precedence over everything. That people are just in it for the money. And it's actually an incredibly brave thing to do to kind of stand up and do the right thing. Especially when, you know, a lot of these people are risking lucrative positions or even just risking being smeared and being dragged through the mud to kind of stand up and say, you know what, this isn't right. I have to speak out about this. I have to tell the truth. So we thought that we would, you know, kind of honor those people today on the show. Yeah, I agree. And kind of what got me thinking about it is um, recently a California doctor, Bob Sears, um, was kind of vindicated after two years of what can be called the smear campaign against him. Mm -hmm. um, and it, he kind of got labeled in the alternative media as the doctor that is putting conscience before career. And um, for me, that was what was pretty inspiring that he continued to stay firm to his beliefs mm -hmm. and not kind of surrender to the pressure that you're talking about, Doug. Yeah. And so for our listeners who may not know, um, Dr. Bob Sears was a, is, is a practicing doctor in California in a pretty small town, but um, he's written uh, books on vaccinations, and he's not anti-vaccine at all. But what he's done is that he has written books and done research, and basically he's a, a firm supporter of informed consent. So without going into too much detail, I mean, our listeners can listen or read on SOT uh, about him, but he basically told a mother that um, she could have a medical exemption for her child that had previous injuries or uh, reactions to vaccines. And w what happened as a result was that um, they went after him. The California Medical Abort board basically wanted to ruin him and they were uh, accusing him of gross negligence for writing this medical exemption in 2014 mm -hmm. and um, you know it just 
it was in light of this whole SB 277. And for our listeners who've listened to this show before, that is the law, the mandatory vaccination law that went in effect in California. And what was it in 2016, I believe, was when it went into effect. Oh, was it that long ago? I thought I was under the impression it was more re- recent than that, but I couldn't oh. remember. 2016. Um, yeah. So basically, um, when it was set into motion, there's been this these events that are going after the doctor-patient relationship and trying to replace it with what they call bureaucratic-run health care. So kind of a one-size-fits-all. And he stood up and he said, you know, I'm not going to go back on my advice to her, you know, and I'm going to go through with this medical exemption. And so... You know, this is not an unknown doctor. He's been on, he's been in the Los Angeles Times, Forbes. Um, he was, he's been on the Dr. Phil show, the Ellen DeGeneres show, CNN house calls. You know, so he's pretty well known and he is featured in the Vaxxed mm-hmm. uh, doc- documentary. So, yeah, yeah. it's kind of crazy because. It's it's just, I find it so weird that, you know, he's not even like an extreme case. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like he's out there saying vaccines are going to kill you and he's against all vaccines and that, you know, they're trying to teach him a lesson, you know? I mean, I think that they kind of are. But it's like the they've taken such a hard line stance on it. Whereas before they were kind of like, well, we're going to allow medical exemptions. But now they're going after somebody who is granting a medical ex- exemption. It's kind of like, you know, he heard this woman, this story of how her child was affected by uh, previous vaccines and said, you know what, it doesn't make sense to give another vaccine. But they're taking such a hard line on it and saying, no, absolutely everybody, you know, even though they'll say, well, we'll allow for medical exemptions, they're kind of like, no. And it's kind of like they're trying to use him as, uh, you know, a warning to other doctors. It's like, well you know, read between the lines, folks. Like, we're not actually allowing for medical exemptions, even though we say that we are. So you better know, you know, you better watch it if you plan on giving any of these medical exemptions. Yeah, and it, it did exactly that. There, I'm, I'm looking for the article while we discuss it, but uh, there was other doctors that came out in support of him, and every single one of them said that they did not want to be named because they were fear of losing their job or being in some sort of trouble and you know i mean basically he is supporting this idea of informed consent and actually the importance of the physician patient relationship which it seems like in this time they're trying to do away with that it's like well we'll just make medicine for all just give the vaccines just do Mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do and don't question anything yeah yeah, it's like the they, they're trying to make the bureaucracy kind of so thick that it's no longer, you know, these these doctors have gone through so much schooling. They're trained so much for the exact purpose that they are thinking and able to kind of assess each individual on an individual basis and decide what would be best for them. But it's like they're trying to do away with all that and turning these doctors into basically protocol followers. It's kind of like if they present with these symptoms, then you do this, and that is the right thing to do. And if you do anything other than that, then we can revoke your license. It's pretty crazy. Turning people into basically pill-dispensing robots more than anything else. 
I agree. I mean, it's just so unnerving in so many ways. And yeah. it kind of speaks to not just vaccines, but all other health advice. You know, I mean, years ago I was reading about how doctors can't give you uh, healthy alternatives because they can get in trouble. So if you, yeah. you know, maybe exercise and eating right, but I'm sure we'll cover that in the show a little bit later about <laughs> giving dietary advice. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And it, it's kind of like it, it is just stripping these doctors of all their power and their, uh, you know, their status as individuals, essentially. Thinking yeah. free individuals who are able to, um, you know, use their brains and kind of be like, you know what, I've seen so many uh, negative reactions to the vaccine that maybe I'm not going to uh, go with the required schedule for this patient because, um, you know, there might be adverse events or something like that. It really, like like you say, it's stripping away that kind of doctor-patient relationship. Yeah. Oh. The, this, is a, this is a bit of a problem when it comes to regulatory bodies in medicine. I think they're 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 needed <laughs> because you don't want anyone just you know trying all sorts of crazy things with their patients um, and potentially hurting people along the way. Um, so I can see the need for having like a regulation of it, but the problem is when it goes so far as to um, completely cripple uh, any individual. Um, free thinking in medicine and, and you see the thing is I'm not sure how it works over in the US but it's 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 quite bad over here in the UK because um, you have a system of healthcare like the National Health Service which is basically free upon entry so it's funded by the government and so everyone gets free healthcare but along with that, you have these things called NICE guidelines. And these are basic guidelines, um, uh, protocols which to follow for each specific condition. And so typically a doctor, when a patient comes in presenting with specific symptoms or they receive a diagnosis, a doctor will refer to those guidelines. And so doctors in the UK can actually be struck off. Um, and and lose their license if they do not follow those guidelines <laughs> and so it's, it's like medical fascism you know it's like there is very little capacity to make any decisions because all of the decisions have been made for you and and when you look at the people who actually um, are, are, are the ones who decide what those guidelines are most of them are in the back pockets of um, various sort of agricultural uh, businesses or you know um, they have partnerships with the pharmaceutical companies and things like that so it's it, as you said Doug it's highly corrupt um, and as I said I don't know what it's like in the US but from some of the information that we were reading for this show it seems like it's very much similar there is um there it's like they keep them within the small confines of a prison and anyone who, who attempts to step out of that small box um, is penalized for that. And they make, it seems like with this guy who's speaking about vaccines, and by no means was it in any way radical. Right. 
I mean, he he wrote a book on it, and he clearly said, you know, vaccines work in some instances, but in other instances, you have to think twice about giving them, and that's a rational approach. And it's it's almost like they're making a scapegoat out of this guy. Um, and it was good to hear that he he beat the case eventually because because um, he hadn't done anything wrong. Yeah. yeah. And the name of a book, if anyone's interested, it was actually a b Amazon bestseller. It's called The Vaccine Book, Making the Right Decision for Your Child. And basically, he just provided parents with fair and objective look at vaccines. And, he, you know, he was doing his job. He was practicing the Hippocratic Oath. And his controversy is that he was having people delay vaccines mm -hmm. so that the child wouldn't be overwhelmed you know yeah and it's amazing that these protocols seem to be designed for like a one one size fits all right mm -hmm. it's kind of the same thing could be said about you know with the dietary guidelines and all that kind of stuff it's like <clears throat> everybody is the same and they all need the exact same thing so all you need to do is follow this protocol and give them this at this age and this at this age um there's it it just seems like it's it, it's treating people as if they're all cardboard cutouts that we're all the same and everybody needs the same thing. Taking all nuance out of the in, the entire situation. Exactly. And if you're a parent that's kind of questioning, I know from personal experience, I, I have both an experience with a doctor with conscience and one without. And, you know, when, when I said, well, I want to read more, I don't really know. I mean, they went into full-blown we're going to turn you into cps you have to do this and it took all my strength really to to do the research and to find out no i still have control over the situation and i ended up going to a different doctor who was in a um you know uh community funded kind of little pop-up clinic and to my advantage, she happened to be Seventh-day Adventist, and sh they're against vaccinations. And she said, I totally understand where you're coming from, and I'm just going to put in here that you have a religious exemption, and that's the end of it. And it never came up again. Now, this was like 20 years ago. So I can't imagine what parents now are dealing with, because in this particular case of Dr. Sears, the media just jumped on it, right? Because they had just right. passed SB 277 and they were gonna make him an example that that he was a quack, that he didn't have any basis in reality. I mean, they just went after character assassination, essentially, and he stuck to his guns. Yeah, and I think that that's the, you know, kind of like the theme of the show that we're, we're talking about here, this, the kind of the, the bravery and the strength that people kind of need to stand up against these institutions or you know smear campaigns stand up against the media like all of these people um you know they really are facing a huge battle i mean you can even talk about how kind of jordan peterson who we talk about a lot on this show um the kind of things that he faces just getting smeared left right and center oh he's part of the alt-right and blah 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 and it's just, it's, it, it takes a lot of fortitude to be able to actually, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing and, you know, come what may. I'm going to, you know, I, I am going with my conscience here. I'm not just going to shut up and, like, disappear or whatever and let them roll over me. I'm going to actually fight this. I think it takes, uh, it takes a lot of strength.
and going against the grain. Yeah, absolutely. literally. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. F both figuratively speaking and literally, because there, uh, there was a doctor. We could talk about by him. His name is Doctor Tim Noakes, mm -hmm. and uh, so he's like a really prominent doctor. Actually, he's an exercise physiologist um, and a trained physician. He was working at university in uh, South Africa. And so he basically came out on Twitter one of the days in response to um, someone who was asking questions about, um, I think it was infant nutrition. And so <laughs> he basically came out and said, look, um, he, he thinks that, um, that babies should be weaned off of breast milk onto a low-carb, high-fat diet. And so he received... Um, there was like this back and forth on Twitter um, and he received basically like a notice from the um, the medical board in South Africa um, and they basically tried to like strike him off and um, all sorts of things. They, they took him to court and, and whatnot and... Um, and it turns out in this article, it was describing how many of the individuals who had objected against his advice, um, typically people with qualifications in nutrition and, and things. But for instance, there was one of them who was the head of, um, I think she, for, for, for a time she was the head of Coca-Cola. And then, or, or like the South African board of Coca-Cola or something. And she had ties to Kellogg's. So she did consulting for Kellogg's and Nestle and um, basically all of these other companies which have a, a vested financial um, interest in, um, in high sugar, high refined foods. Um, and so, yeah, it turned out that this guy came under like rapid fire just for saying something like so basic as okay this maybe children shouldn't be on a really high carbohydrate diet full of lots of whole grains and things maybe they should actually be on a higher fat diet when they're younger mm -hmm. um yeah his story was actually really well covered in uh, that documentary we talked about in a past episode called the magic pill um <clears throat> it was actually kind of just really fortunate timing because uh the documentary makers were actually able to go to the trial and actually cover um, a lot of what was actually going on. And uh, yeah, and his case is really interesting too because what they were trying to say is that what he was doing by giving that woman kind of advice was kind of unsanctioned med medical advice and that he was treating her as a patient and that um, it was unethical because he didn't know anything about the case to be saying these things. But I think that what they realized kind of halfway through is that that was actually really dangerous, like a dangerous precedent for them to set, even for themselves. Like the idea that nobody can give any kind of dietary advice unless they have that person as a patient. Like never mind like average people who are just kind of talking about, you know, a low carb diet really worked for me. You know, it's basically changing it so that nobody can give any kind of dietary advice except for a doctor and only under the condition that they are your patient. So I think maybe kind of halfway through the trial or something like that, maybe they were kind of like, you know what, actually, this is maybe not the best thing for us to kind of be arguing. And, you know, I'm just speculating. Maybe they didn't come to that conclusion at all. But um, the good news is that he did actually get off.
Yeah, and he he wasn't even necessarily practicing anymore no. medicine, and he chose to fight it. He was like, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to defend what I said, and I'll spend the money. I mean, I think he spent, what, like a million dollars or something? It was just an, a, a crazy amount of money. It was 155000 That number oh. sticks in my head anyway. Still an outrageous amount of money, but he was just doing it himself. And... Um, yeah. So again, it's kind of like, and that, that really like, you got to hand it to the guy because like you said, he wasn't really even practicing anymore. So he probably wouldn't have suffered much by losing his medical license. Mm -hmm. So he could have just been like, well, this really sucks, but okay, fine. I don't actually care that much, but he's like, no, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to, you know, tell the truth and actually fight this thing. It was like a real, it was a precedent setting situation. Yeah, I agree. And that's why we feel like we need to give those guys some props because yeah. the media sh for sure is not going to cover it. Either of these doctors, when they were vindicated after, you know, two years or however long it went on, there was no media representation of them. Oh, by the way, we were wrong or, no. you know, these guys aren't guilty of anything other than just doing their job the right way. Well, because it doesn't fit the narrative, right? I mean, you know, the media is basically in the pocket of these these industries like, you know, big pharma or big agriculture or whatever. Um, so, you know, and you can tell just by looking at the types of stories that come out and, you know, even looking at like um, Michaela Peterson uh, recently, who's Jordan Peterson's daughter and is a big advocate of the carnivore diet because she found that it helped her so much with all her crazy ailments. And we interviewed her in a past show, which people should check out if they haven't already. But her story is pretty amazing. But just looking in the mainstream press, how she gets smeared, like all over the place, like, you know, all these people being like journalists, quote unquote, being extremely dismissive, right? It's like, supposedly she had arthritis, supposedly or allegedly she had depression. It's like, give me a break. You know, she was in a seriously rough condition, but it's like it, it, it so goes against the narrative that they're presenting all the time that they have to be these smug, sneery kind of like, you know, debunking kind of articles. It's so aggravating. It is. I agree completely. And you have to kind of read between the lines, too. You know, I, I find that when they don't get attention, well, maybe there is something to what they're saying. Yeah. I'm just going to ask this question to our chatters here. Can you guys hear me any better at all? I'm trying. I know that the volume is kind of an issue right now. Is there any improvement whatsoever? Okay, we'll wait for those answers to come in, but um, and we can continue on. Um. Well, we've spoken about how those two doctors um, essentially you know, won the cases, and that's really good. Um, unfortunately, it's not like that in all cases. Um, there are multiple cases of doctors who have gone against the grain um, and spoken the truth and actually had their medical license revoked or have simply been silenced. Um, and there's a really sad case about um, this one doctor. His name was Dr. I don't know how to say it. Dr. Fetke. 
I think that's his that's his name. And so basically, he's a physician in Australia, and um, and so he basically set up a couple of clinics um, working. I believe it was primarily with people with type two diabetes, and he saw hundreds or thousands of people. Um, with this condition, and he started treating it with a low-carb, high-fat diet. Mm. Um, and so he was actually getting really good results. He was basically recommending that his patients, you know, cut out sugar, um, cut out vegetable oils and polyunsaturated oils, um, and stick to a more sort of primal diet, you know, meat, fat, vegetables and stuff. And so... Um, he he came under fire and actually what happened in his case was that um the authorities basically said that um he was not qualified to give any nutritional advice because he's a medical physician his training did not adequately equip him with the tools to be able to make any advice oh or give any advice about what someone should or should not be eating um, and so they basically put him under like, um, like, uh, what's the word? They basically said, if you want to continue to practice medicine, you are by no means allowed to make any recommendations whatsoever about what your patients eat. You can give no nutritional advice. You can give no um, advice about supplementation. Basically, all you can do is pr prescribe medication. Yeah, and so he's in a position now, or I'm not sure where, I'm not sure recently, but in 2016 anyway, um, he's in a position where he legally could not say anything, and if he did, they would permanently take his license away. And you know, the the worst thing about this case was that in um, one of the letters, the notices that he got from the um, from the authorities, it basically said that in the future if the advice that you're giving becomes common medical practice this is still not um you are still not able to to recommend it to your patients oh because God. you have yeah because you have no no nutritional qualification i just thought that was absolutely insane <laughs> like what, absolutely insane what country was that in i think it was in australia that's unbelievable because that even goes against what they usually say. You know, it's like most of the time they're kind of like, you know, don't listen to these to these health bloggers or any of these kinds of people. Listen to a doctor or a dietitian. You know, mm -hmm. yes. So for them to turn around and say, nope, can't listen to a doctor either. So I've got the um, I've got the quote here, and apparently it was um, it was in a notice by the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency. So I guess that's like their regula regulatory body in, in Australia. And so it says this. It says, There is nothing associated with your medical training or education that makes you an expert or authority in the field of nutrition, diabetes, or cancer. Uh -huh. Even if, in the future, your views on the benefits of low-carb, high-fat lifestyle become the accepted best medical practice, this does not change the fundamental fact that you are not suitably trained or educated as a medical practitioner to be providing advice or recommendations on this topic as a medical practitioner. Oh <laughs> but but that's, that's paradoxical because, because doctors 
are trained to frequently recommend the established conventional view of nutrition. So if that were the case, then they would have to... Um, to make this fair game, they would have to say to all doctors that doctors could not say anything about nutrition whatsoever. But it, but they don't do that. It's just applied to him. And so they're basically pinpointing him because he's stepping outside of the box and shutting him down. And so he's in a situation where he can't even, he can't recommend anything to his patients, even though he saw such amazing benefits. He was reversing type 2 diabetes. That's unbelievable. <laughs> oh my God. And so you were saying that he was uh, like effectively silenced in that way, like he hasn't been able to fight back or anything. Yeah, well, it says that basically they had a website um, and it said his name. His name's Gary Fetke. And uh, the website was called Gary Fetke No Fructose. It was basically talking about, you know, it presented all of the research about all of the... Um, detrimental effects of dietary sugars and, and high fructose corn syrup and stuff and basically what they had to do was take his name off the website and replace it with his wife's name because if there was any association between him and anything resembling nutritional advice he would be struck off um, and so yeah they they sent him a variety of letters um, I, I'm gonna post the article on the chat because it's really worth a read um, but yeah, I mean, effectively, completely silenced the guy, um, and I don't, I don't know where he is now. I haven't kept up to date with the story, but yeah, it's really quite sad. That's very sad. Yeah, well, I guess that's uh, one situation where there wasn't much he could do about it, really. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know. There's other areas other than. Um, doctors and medicine um, or dietary advice. One of those is um, pharmaceutical reps who, you know, previously were working with pharmaceutical companies and then at some point kind of grew a conscience or maybe they had their conscience all along and kind of were able to talk themselves out of the fact that maybe they were doing harm and there was one kind of final straw where they finally had had enough and kind of came out and started talking about what uh, was actually going on in the, the pharmaceutical industry and again these people are kind of like you know heroes in our midst because you know there's a lot of incentive to not do that sort of thing and it's not just the high paying jobs and the kind of fancy lifestyle and all that kind of stuff like you can be prosecuted you can you know have your name kind of dragged through the mud all these kinds of things yeah, and they would know better than anyone because they're pushing these things and they're seeing the outcomes of what's happening. And I can't remember if it was in the bot documentary we talked about probably almost two years ago where they had interviews with them. Um, you know, again, their conscience is like, I can't... One of them, and I can't remember the woman's name, was about the Gardasil vaccine, which seems to just still be super highly controversial yeah yeah i mean yeah that one is really crazy but yeah the i'm trying to find actually the article where uh they were discussing it but there was a lot of different examples actually of different pharmaceutical reps and one of them actually was this woman who had raised her child in um europe 
for kind of the first six months of uh, of the child's life, and then uh, moved back to uh, the U.S. and she hadn't vaccinated. And once she got there, um, went to kind of a clinic or was looking for a new doctor or something like that. And uh, the the first thing the doctor wanted to do, obviously, was vaccinate the child. You know, oh my God, six months old, it hasn't been vaccinated. It's like a disease factory. So, you know, she was kind of nervous about it because she had been in the pharmaceutical industry and knew all this kind of stuff that was going on behind the scenes and how a lot of the stuff that is actually pushed on people does not have the kind of rigorous science behind it that it's supposed to and things get pushed through and scientific studies get kind of fudged. So she was kind of like nervous about it and said, oh, I don't know, and um, said, well, let me read the package insert for the vaccine. And the doctor was like, why, you don't trust me? And got really angry and actually like stormed out of the room. And then the nurse came in and said, uh, yeah, you're not, um, uh, you're not welcome here anymore, basically. You're not going to be our patient. So, you know, just for asking to see the insert. And it's kind of like, so then she kind of left there and like, you know, that was a huge red flag for her and started doing all this kind of research um, because she's like, if they're trying to push this so hard, even, you know, to the point where all I wanted to do was look at the insert and they were freaking out about it. And I think she discovered that the, the doctor actually had a lot of ties to, uh, to uh, some particular vaccine maker. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, she ended up leaving the industry and has kind of started speaking out about these sorts of things. I would I would give her name, but I haven't been able to find the article again. So it's really interesting because um, <laughs> I can't remember the statistics, but it was one of the pharmaceutical companies which, in one of the years, I think they um, they basically flew. I think it was five hundred five five thousand doctors in the U.S. Uh, they flew them to like the Bahamas and the Caribbean, um, and like pampered them with uh, massages and golf retreats, and they they um, they clawed them in with like um, VIP tickets to special sporting events and all of this stuff. So they really procure them. Um, it's like uh, yeah, it's like a procuring thing, and and say. So <laughs> They, they treat the doctors really well and they buy them gifts and they offer them all sorts of um, bonuses and stuff. And so if you were a doctor with, I don't know, questionable conscience uh, or maybe you, you're just spineless or hungry for some money, then, yeah, I mean, it would be... It's very tempting. It's very tempting to... And they get given quotas, so they get, you know, they get... Uh, propositions like okay if you can administer this many medications or if you can administer this many vaccines then we will give you you know a bonus per year or something and there's all sorts of dodgy financial arrangements that go on yeah. and I'm sure I'm sure it's legal a lot of it it's 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 just like being an affiliate for a company and yeah um, but it's criminal at the same time because it's criminal because it's hidden from the public. The public don't know this. No. Um, and, and so you've got all of these doctors who are basically pushing all these meds. Um, <laughs> and the public doesn't know any better. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you, you would assume that if a doctor is prescribing you a medication, it's like the doctor has kind of done their research. They've looked at the studies. 
they know that this is the best medication for your situation. But it, it's not actually the case. That doesn't, that, that looks like it does, isn't what happened at all. It's like the medication that you're getting is like, because he got the best lunch, um, taken out for the best lunch by the pharmaceutical rep. Or like, you know, he chose because this, he chose this medication because he got, you know, flown to the Caribbean and got lap dances or something like that. Like that's the decision-making process behind it all. It's really crazy. Well, I just added a link to the chat. Um, I think what you're talking about, Doug, it's in this article called Plagued by a Guilty Conscience, Ex-Pharma Employees Speak Out Against the Industry. And the first one is the former vice president of, of Pfizer, Dr. Peter Roast. Right. And he talks about, he, he actually wrote a book called The Whistleblower, Confessions of a Healthcare Hitman. And... Uh, He's an expert witness on big pharma and, you know, patent infringement, pharmaceutical marketing, drug product liability. And he was basically saying that universities, health organizations, they don't have any money. The only people that have money are multinational corporations. And so it's easy, like you guys are saying, to be bought essentially and you know especially in the u.s i don't know how it is in the uk um elliot but you know to get a degree and and be a doctor is hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans so if you're you know under that pressure to pay back all this money and you have to have insurance it's easy to be swayed in that way yeah yeah it's not yeah it's not quite the same in the uk um it's substantially cheaper <laughs> although it's the most expensive in europe uh, we have to pay phenomenal prices when you compare to other european countries but yeah it's it's not quite like that and furthermore um because of the nhs system it's not necessarily that doctors um get any uh it's not that they're necessarily able to be bought out in the way that doctors are in the u.s However, um, the NHS and the and, and the um, the people who run the NHS, the people on the advisory boards who make the decisions, they are the ones who basically sign contracts with the pharmaceutical companies. Um, and so, I think a lot of the um, the bribing and the um, the deals goes on at, at higher levels. Right. It, it doesn't come down to the doctor level because we don't have things like medical. Well, some people have medical insurance, but the majority of people don't. So when you go to a doctor's surgery and you get a vaccine or you get some medication, you don't necessarily pay for that always. Sometimes you would pay a small amount on prescription. But, um, but yeah, it's not necessarily that the doctor is making anything off of that prescription per se. Um, but at the higher levels, it is because... The NHS, the the body actually has to purchase a certain amount of medication, yeah, a certain amount of vaccines, and so I think a lot of the corruption and things is at a higher level. Mm. Um, that's the way I understand it, anyway. I could be wrong, um, but yeah. Well, one of the other um, people covered in that article that um, Erica was just talking about is Kathleen Slattery Moshkow. Uh, I think I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. But she was actually a pharmaceutical sales rep for 10 years and ended up becoming the writer-director of the film Side Effects. I don't know if you guys ever saw that one, but um, it, was a, it was a very interesting um, movie, actually, about pharmaceutical side effects. And, you know, it was, kind of, it was a thriller and, like, 
I, I don't remember exactly how it ended, but um, I don't think that it was totally just like a smearing of the, the pharmaceutical industry, but it really was not making the pharmaceutical industry look very good. It was like, you know, the characters in it who represented pharmaceutical reps were basically like extremely shady. So I guess she's kind of um, found kind of a different way, like rather than being kind of like a whistleblower or like putting articles out or something like that, she's making, you know, these mainstream Hollywood movies that are um, kind of giving people a glimpse of what's actually going on behind the scenes. So. And I think most people know someone in their life that have had either a vaccine side effect or a drug side effect mm. you know so it's not like it's uncommon it's not fringe no and when these side effects happen like what always comes to mind for me is Vioxx uh-huh. and um and I know that because somebody in my family had three pinholes in their heart as a result of taking Vioxx oh my god and so you know, the, and then you have the ambulance chasers, the people that are like, if you've had a drug side effect, you can sue. Well, that you know, she did that, and she got $20,000. So she still has three pinholes in her heart, but she got $20,000, and it was like, well, that's the end of the story, you know. But how many people are on medication now that in, say, five to ten years, those side effects are going to come up? It's interesting too. And it's probably like, you know, maybe her doctor was like wined and dined in order to, you know, prescribe that Vioxx. It's interesting, you know, I knew, uh, well, I know a doctor, um, a guy who, you know, I was friends with him since we were younger teenagers. And he actually went hardcore, went to medical school, worked hard, became a doctor. And he was telling me one time about these pharmaceutical reps who like take them out to to dinner or to lunch or whatever and kind of wine them dine them give them gifts you know give them tickets to sports games and all this kind of stuff and i was kind of like appalled by it i was like that's crazy like that's really unethical and he was he was just kind of like what whatever like that's the way it goes like that's not it's not unethical it's just it's it doesn't matter like you know he's like i don't think that i'm unduly influenced by these kinds of things so I don't think it's a it's a big problem, and I, I was just blown away. I was kind of like, I can't, first of all, I can't believe that you're not able to see that there is like some dodginess going on here. But for him, it was completely normalized. So, and I think that's kind of the case for a lot of these doctors. It's kind of like they don't they don't necessarily see that this is an issue. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there are doctors out there who I've read about who uh, will just refuse to see any pharmaceutical reps. They just don't do it. They're like, no, it's, they they obviously can see that. This is uh, this is an issue, and there's ethical concerns here. The the thing is, it's it's a complete conflict of interest. Um, and if if you were a scientist, or if you're someone who say you're a scientist and you're writing a review, uh, like a meta-analysis of you're taking 25 different studies and you're reviewing them on a specific topic to come to a, to a conclusion. So as part of that meta-analysis of that review process, you would be looking at each different study and be looking at the funding of the study to see if there's any stated conflicts of interest. So for instance, if there's a study saying that sugar is a really healthy thing for the human body, 
but it was funded by Coca-Cola, then you would be obligated to say, okay, there's a conflict of interest there, so we're not going to include this study in our meta-analysis. So basically what I'm trying to say is that if there's a conflict of interest, usually in basic science, that would be considered a bad thing, and it would be it would it would sway someone to not take into consideration what that person is saying because it is likely swayed by that conflict of interest but this doesn't seem to be taking place in medicine um it, you know it's not treated in that same way it, it, and i'm kind of flabbergasted that your friend Doug didn't see any problem with that because it's so clearly even if non-consciously is going to have an effect on the way that that doctor practices medicine and when you're dealing with people's lives um that's a fairly substantial thing um and i wonder how many how many other doctors also don't see it as a problem um yeah it's it's interesting phenomena really are you guys still there Yep, I'm okay. there. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes. Hello? Okay. You have a little bit of feedback, Doug, but oh. I can still hear you. Okay. Did you? Did anybody hear what I just said? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just saying that I think maybe it, uh, it's one of those kinds of things where the, the, because it's the culture and everybody is doing it and it's just kind of part of the job it's kind of one of those things where like you know a new doctor coming into this kind of situation and and gets taken out for um you know lunch but the pharmaceutical rep and it's what all the other doctors are doing you know maybe it's a practice where the whole practice is taken out or something it's like it, it's so normalized that it kind of you know even if they do have an inkling that this maybe isn't the way to go it's kind of like well this is the way it's done so it's just part of the job you know, I think I think that people can kind of, uh, you know, silence that little twinge of conscious conscience in themselves and uh, kind of just go along with the flow. You know, they don't want to start a big stink or anything like that. So they just kind of go along with it. Yeah. And a lot of it could be just investment bias. You know, you've spent eight years in school and you figured you wanted to do this when you grew up and now you're in it. And what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, are you just going to sit back and go along with the program? Or are you going to speak out and or try and do the best you can do? I mean, that's what I think Dr. Sears did. He knew that the, the you know, medical guidelines were what they were with vaccines. So he tried to stay really informed and present both sides of the article to give or the, the topic to give people, you know, a choice. I yeah. mean, we still have choices at least in the u.s of whether or not we want a second opinion or are going to take that advice mm -hmm. i mean i shouldn't say because i don't really go to the doctor but <laughs> <laughs> now one uh one place where the choice issue really comes up is with uh genetically modified foods <laughs> you know you were talking about conflict of interest elliot it's like oh my god when you take a look at the science there, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's basically like if you find any study that talks about either finding no harmful effects or benefits uh, or finding benefits from genetically modified foods, it's like you can guarantee if you look into the, the, the conflicts of interest, you will find like Monsanto or some other GMO company is in there. 
Like you can pretty much guarantee it. It's like any independent study that's out there has find, found detriment, whereas you know any industry-funded study, it's it's like glowing praise. So it's just it's it's unbelievable. And one uh, guy who kind of stated this was in the early years of uh, when genetically modified uh, GMOs were coming onto the market. Um, there was one researcher who was feeding um, genetically modified potatoes to uh, rats and was found finding just absolutely horrific side effects, basically. They were growing tumors and having all the just craziness. And he actually was on TV and they were asking him about it and he was kind of like, yeah, you know, this stuff is terrible. I wouldn't eat this stuff. It's crazy. Look at, look at these rats. This is garbage. And he just got slammed for it. His name was Arpad Pustai. And um, there was a, he's kind of like a hero within the kind of anti-GMO movement because he was like, just like, you know, it, it did, I, I don't know if it even occurred to him to like to keep it a secret or anything like that. He was just kind of like he's a scientist, so of course, he's when he's asked about what's uh, what he's finding in his studies, he's just going to say it. Whereas yeah. like you know, it, he just ended up getting slammed, like absolutely dragged through the mud. His name, I think he might he got fired, and maybe had some kind of restriction put on him to to be allowed to practice or to be able to, to speak about it. I think he was put under gag order. Um, and it was just like, you know, he was, he was just, you know, effectively silenced. Another doctor that just came to mind that I've actually had the for fortunate enough to see speak live and it really uh, shocked me is Dr. Huber. And he kind of went on this crusade against biotechnology in the early days and you know he's he's been studying plant pathology for 55 years i mean he worked for the department of defense and he basically came out and he's famous for saying that um we're using our children as as guinea pigs in this whole thing and he wrote a letter uh, to uh, secretary velsnick of the usda basically talking about glyphosate and how all the really bad things about it and um, you know he just disappears from any sort of research unless you look into you know the whole GMO debate but he he laid out all the science and I cannot give credit to the science <laughs> that he talked about maybe you can add a little bit Elliot but just kind of what Stephanie sent off talks about now that just this glyphosate is essentially destroying immune systems by chelating stripping micronutrients like magnesium copper and zinc and the guy's a plant scientist so he's seen it in plants and and you know he did his part to try and get the information out there and you know is silenced or not the information just kind of disappears into the ether yeah, well, the main reason why glyphosate was actually, um, like, patented and, and is used is because, <laughs> because it literally destroys the way that plants metabolize proteins, yeah? So it chelates all the minerals that the plants need to basically grow, and it also blocks the, uh, the, the various pathways in which they need to, like, develop. So... Um, so that's no secret and that's actually how it works that's you know that's non-disputed but the idea was is that because it only targets plants um, and bacteria 
um, and the, the pathway that it targets isn't actually present in human beings. That was the idea that it, it can't be harmful to human beings because we don't have that biochemical pathway. It's called the shikmate pathway. Um, but the problem with that is that we are not just human being. In fact, we're probably only 10% human being, if that. <laughs> you know, up to 95% of our overall DNA is non-human. So it's either bacterial or it's viral or it's fungal. Yeah, so most of what you think of your body is actually microorganisms which live on your body and so <laughs> and so the idea and so, so basically the glyphosate is completely messing up with all the bacterial ecosystem which we need to be healthy we need to survive um and so it kind of throws all of those arguments in the bin you know the, yeah i mean if we, we've spoken about glyphosate loads before but it's it really is pretty pretty dangerous stuff but there was recently that court case, and, and that's a really good result, to be fair. The guy in the U.S. Um, was awarded, how much was he awarded? $280 million? Yeah, it was, yeah. Dwayne Johnson, I think it was his name. The Rock. Oh, no, that's, uh, you're right. No, it's not, it's Dwayne. <laughs> 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 Too many people to think about. <laughs> Uh, that was actually a precedent, and we'll see what happens. You know, you read about it, and they're like, he'll never get the money. Of course, Monsanto is, uh, you know, they're going back, and who knows if he'll get the money. But boy, did that spread the word across the world, like, oh my gosh, this guy actually got sick and could die because of this stuff. Wow. Yeah, hopefully it's going to give credence to... <laughs> a lot of the work like like the genuine work that has been done on it um and that what hundreds of people have been saying about how dangerous it is over the past 10 15 years uh, everyone sort of dismissed that um hopefully even if he doesn't get the money then you know hopefully it kind of makes people think ah okay maybe we should start listening to these people yeah you know? and hopefully if this does actually set a precedent it'll start a whole flood of legal action against uh, Monsanto for their... It already is. And it his, is? Name is, his, his name is Dwayne Johnson. It <laughs> is. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's over a thousand lawsuits that I think were probably wow. um, in waiting to see what was going to happen with this case. And how they were going to prove, you know, because, of course, Monsanto was like, well, you can't prove that that's what, what did he have? Non-Hopkins lymphoma, I believe there was something. Oh, 4,000-ish is one of what our chatters are saying. 4,000 4, lawsuits. Pending. That's amazing. that's amazing. Maybe it'll shut Monsanto down for good. Well, they've just now been bought out, as yeah. our listeners may know, so... It will be Bayer that will pay the money. I don't know. Wow, that's a rather toxic asset, asset that they've uh, just acquired. Taken hands. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, their stocks keep falling now as this uh, information goes around, and and people are aware. You know, I mean, I, maybe people weren't sure one way or another, but when it came back in his favor, I think 
it made a lot of people go, hmm, maybe there is something to think about with all this information. It's not just a bunch of tinfoil hat wearing people that are freaked out by GMO foods. Well, our chatter just said that Monsanto has profits of approximately $15 billion a year. <laughs> so I guess, uh, I don't know. My math isn't uh, really with me right now. I don't know what 289 million times 4,000 is, but uh, it might be significant, but probably not going not gonna to kill them. But, you know, places like California have already put a warning label on it. And they've been battling back and forth, and this may be the lawsuit. Because it did happen in California where it tips it over the edge. I mean, not that that it's going to change people's mind about using the weed killer, but at least maybe they'll stop and think before they spray it on schoolyards or in public parks. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe end users as well i mean that's not the the major problem with glyphosate like you, the amount that you know a person spraying it in their garden is is you know pales in comparison to what's happening in the actual agricultural industry mm -hmm. but even if it informs people to the extent that they um you know think twice about where they're getting their actual vegetables from or even animals because they're being fed stuff with the glyphosate all over it as well so to, to encourage people to actually find clean sources of food. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So do we have any other cases of heroes in our midst who are standing up to these oppressive powers? People who we should honor? Somebody in the chat mentioned the French scientist Cerulini. Cerulini. Seralini. Yeah. Yeah, he was kind of like the Putsai man. Yeah, he I read about his uh his situation a while back. It's called like they refer to it as the Seralini affair. And I don't remember the details, but he published some kind of study that on the rats. Yeah, that was showing you know brutally negative effects of uh being fed GMOs and I think his study was unique because it actually was able to, like they fed them GMOs by themselves, GMOs plus glyphosate, and then had control groups as well. And were able to determine, like, you know, look at the difference between the effects of the GMOs on their own versus the GMOs plus the glyphosate. If, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that's what it was. Anyway, and he showed, you know, that it was absolutely brutal. Like just the GMOs on their own were, were terrible and the GMOs plus the, the glyphosate were even more terrible. And uh, he ended up getting slammed, and you know his his uh, paper was unpublished, similar to what happened to uh, Andrew Wakefield, actually, um, who is a guy who maybe we should mention. But um, also, like you know, he so his his paper was retracted from the journal it was published in, which he ended up fighting and and actually got it published in a different journal, a journal with some credibility. And you know his name was dragged through the mud, and people said that he was you know faking his results and all this kind of stuff, and. Uh, uh yeah. yeah now uh he's he's considered kind of a, a hero as well because he again he stood up and he fought it yeah and i think what he did also if i'm not mistaken was studied longer the longer term oh, effects yeah. that's right. right so most of the in talking about what elliot mentioned with doctors you know most of the studies that they've done on glyphosate have been by industry people you know Monsanto's paid people or they've created these organizations that do the research and so I think with 
Cirilli, is that how you say his name? Yeah. He, Saralini. Saralini, they did longer testing. So it was over an extensive period of time, and so it did show negative effects. Yeah, that's right. They, I, I'm remembering now, and uh, thanks to an artist in the forum for or the, the chat for mentioning this, but yeah, he like it's like the Monsanto study, they did it for three months, which was too short a period of time, and basically said, look, there's no, there's no negative effects. So what he did is did the exact same study only over a longer period of time, and all, all of a sudden we're finding all these you know, crazy negative effects. So he's basically calling Monsanto on their BS. It's, it's a bit like uh, the fluoroquinolone antibiotics. Uh, the flocks, it's like people can take those and then not have any side effects for like four years. You know, so, so the body has an amazing ability to adapt and then to deal with the, or to do the best that it can at any given time. And so the, the detrimental effects of something may occur a long time afterwards. You know, it may be triggered by some stressful event, which actually say the, the the compound or the the pesticide has made them susceptible and then it's a, a trigger a couple of years later which actually magnifies the effects and so it's like when you just study these things for a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months it, it it's really quite disingenuous you know because because a lot of these things take a long time to develop and so it's really hard to draw any conclusions from these short industry-funded studies. Yeah, which is why they do it. Yeah, I mean, the FDA is famous for that. Just get it out to market. And we'll deal with the blowback later by, you know, settling on these lawsuits or whatnot. But, you know, it takes years. And then again, the media doesn't ever respond by admitting that they pushed these ideas that weren't very good yeah they don't take responsibility and it's within the budget to uh to account for lawsuits yeah, yeah. So, so they they decide okay if we're gonna make 30 million off this or 30 billion off this or something then um then we allocate one billion to lawsuits or something like that yeah. so there's always profit no matter what it's unbelievable like just no conscience whatsoever yeah well should we go to our uh pet health segment and uh unfortunately there is no pet health segment today oh yeah so but i'm sure um Zoya will be back next week with a great pet health segment. But yeah, I guess um, unless there's anything that you guys wanted to add, I think that's that's our show. Okay. I don't I don't have anything to add other than I get really worked up by it all, and I have to calm myself down and just keep reading thought and try and stay informed on <laughs> what not to eat and what to eat and stay away from doctors without conscience. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think when these, uh, these individuals are kind of willing to stand up and take the heat, you know, it's kind of like, you know, for some of them, it, it's like the, the circumstances just happen and it's kind of like they could just lay down and, and just take it and disappear and whatever. But it seems like there's certain people who it like forges something in them. 
It's kind of mm -hmm. like, no, I know what's right. I know the right thing to do here, so I'm going to fight. And I think we oh. really have to take our hats off to them. Like you were saying, Doug, maybe just briefly, Dr. Wakefield. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine most of our listeners are familiar with the, the whole Dr. Wakefield thing, but he was a doctor who was doing a, a study on... Um, was It was autistic children who were having digestive um, disorders. And the kind of the, 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 the correlation between the digestive disorders, I think, it was, was it Crohn's? Or it was something along those lines? And how it was very prevalent in autistic uh, children. And he, uh, he didn't actually even show that it was the MMR vaccine that was doing it. But there was a correlation with the MMR vaccine. And what he did was kind of recommended that there be further study on it, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and I th and then what happened was, you know, even just saying that, he got completely smeared. Like, probably one of the worst um, incidences of kind of an unjustified smearing all throughout the media. His name was dragged through the mud. He was, um, his license was, medical license was taken away. And, um, yeah, but I think, you know, it seemed to kind of do that thing that I was just talking about where it kind of forged something within him to, like, fight it. To kind of be like, no, this is not just. I mean, especially since, you know, in the media, they'll say that he's an anti-vaccine doctor and that his study was um, fraudulent and that he was trying to show that vaccines caused this problem when that isn't even what his study was showing at all. All he was doing was saying this needs further research. There might be something here. And that was enough to just get him completely smeared and uh you know he's gone on to do all kinds of different things and is uh an advocate he's not even an anti-vaxxer he's an advocate for kind of more research uh particularly in regards to the mmr vaccine he was one of the people behind the movie vaxxed so you know attacking him was really the wrong thing for for these guys to do because uh because he has become one of the biggest proponents and probably one of the more well-recognized individuals in the kind of vaccine awareness movement, if you can, if you can call it that. Yeah, and that Vax doc documentary reached a lot of people. I mean, Daniel Bigtree interviewing him and, and then the, with the release of Dr. Thompson's information, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of vindicated what he said. Yeah, I I just have one little bit of advice um, to give people. So if there's anyone listening and, you know, they want to, they, they read SOT and they're interested in alternative health and they want to, like, make that a career, you know, say they're deciding what they want to do in life or something and they think, ah, okay, I'd really like to, you know, help people in that way. Um, I, you know... I considered studying medicine. Um, it was an idea, but then when I started looking into it, I was thinking, you know, <laughs> it's like a prison. You know, it's clear that to be a doctor, especially in the West, you know, if you're in the US, if you're in the UK or something, being a doctor, it can be really difficult. <laughs> it's like you, 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 you're very regulated on what you can and cannot do. And there are lots of other ways, like we know with nutrition and lifestyle, that someone can can effectively help to support their condition and in some cases reverse it. Yeah, and that's that's clear. And so, you know, um, 
there are other avenues to to be able to do that kind of thing without going down the medical route you know you can there's lots of other qualifications and things which do um uh, endow you with an ability to be able to advise people on their health and dietary choices and their lifestyle and things and really help people um without without being forced into like a little box you know so mm -hmm. so if that's what you want to do then really consider whether medicine is a field that you want to go into because you have to take into consideration that it's not what it's made out to be um or, or it seems that way anyway yeah <laughs> yeah i would even go say that can that can apply kind of across the board um in a number of things too if you're more interested in food and nutrition and how those things um can kind of affect health then there's alternatives to going the dietitian route as well you know it's kind of like uh, michaela peterson said you know because people criticize her for not having the right kind of uh, credentials you know for her to be giving dietary advice and she actually said you know do i want to spend like you know three or four years in school so i can be told that grains are good for me it's like what the <laughs> hell is the use of that right so i mean independent research is certainly something you could do which is some which, which is what she does but you know there are other programs out there too there's different certifications they might not carry as much weight as <clears throat> you know a diet a dietetics degree um but I think that the education that you get out of it is is going to be more valuable. I mean, there's another another perspective where people kind of will, okay, I, I will just kind of put my head down, do the time, tell them what they want to hear till I can get my degree, and then I'm qualified and I can say what I can tell the truth, you know. And I think there could be some some value in doing that as well. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, do your research. I agree. Okay. Well, that is our show for this week, folks. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to all our chatters. Uh, be sure to tune in to the other two shows on the SOT Radio Network on Saturday and Sunday. And just check, check out uh, radio.sot.net for the um, times that those will air in your time zone. We will be back next week with another healthy topic. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye.